So today is the 18th of July, 2021. We've come together to cultivate our minds, uh, to practice bhavana. This is something of great importance. So every single day we receive a lot of uh, sense impressions from the six uh, senses, from the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind. And these are the internal sense bases. And then for each sense base, there is its corresponding external sense object. And so we contact with these sense objects. And based on this contact, we feel weight in a feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then with regards to this feeling, we feel uh, thirst or tanha, and then upadana or attachment. And based on this, there is a birth and becoming, a suffering arises. So we've seen in our lifetimes, whether a friend, a relative, uh, one's mother, father, a sibling, uh, children, uh, and so on, those we, we know, we've seen them uh, born into this world We've seen them age, seen them sicken, uh, we've seen them uh, in the hospital, for instance. There are many people in the present time due to the pandemic, many sick people in the hospital, and every single day people die. So this is something we've seen in our own experience, uh, those we know and those we don't know, aging and getting sick and dying. But wisdom still hasn't arisen it's because we haven't contemplated it properly. We haven't uh, accepted this as the truth of the way things are. We haven't taken it into our hearts. Instead, we have thoughts of fear, fearing old age, sickness, and death. And this is a lack of wisdom. So we see it, but wisdom doesn't arise. Because the mind isn't collected in samadhi, it's not firm, it's not stable, it lacks mindfulness. We see without mindfulness and there's no wisdom. And with mindfulness, this is uh, gives occasion for wisdom to arise. And with no mindfulness, then various problems arise in our minds and hearts. So therefore, sitting in meditation, cultivating mindfulness, this is very important. So we have to make effort to bring our mind to collectedness to be able to do this. Otherwise, the mind simply gets lost in proliferation. For instance, even while chanting, the mouth may be chanting, but the mind is still thinking uh, endlessly. We may be uh, cooking food or driving or doing various activities, but we notice that the mind uh, thinks without ceasing and it thinks very quickly as well. So therefore, we must make an effort to control the mind, to find a method to teach the mind, to bring it to peace and collectedness, and to be able to do this. So we have to put effort into this. So uh, we're called uh, Kamatana monks, and also Kamatana lay people. And this word Kamatana, it's a basis of work. It's a basis of effort. 
So we must have a kamatana for our minds. That's a, something that our minds can work with. And we see the drawbacks of not having a kamatana. can also call a meditation object. And we see the fear in samsara, the fear in the endless cycle of birth and death. And we see that this samsara, it arises right here in our own minds. So if there's no kamatana, if there's no mindfulness, uh, concentration, and no wisdom, then sense impressions constantly are entering the heart. Uh, there's contact, there's vedana, there's craving, there's attachment, and there's suffering. So we have a liking for something, and we attach, and then we suffer. We dislike something, we attach, and we suffer. We don't want to be, don't want to become, and we suffer, and we want to be, we want to become, and we suffer. So we can call this the bawatanha, craving to become, we uh, bawatanha, craving not to be, not to become, and the kamatanha, craving for the six uh, sense objects, craving for sensuality. So these types of craving, they all arise in our experience, and when and what they are, they're the causes of suffering. It's the causes of suffering arising in the mind. And with them, the sense of self arises already. So therefore, we practice to train our minds with our kamatana, our meditation object, to bring our minds to peace and stillness. And sometimes when we do this, then uh, the dhamma will reveal itself. A condition of dhamma will arise. So we may be sitting there and we close our eyes and we see that our our skull and our body, the skin is uh, clinging to the bones. It's almost like there's no flesh left because the body is so thin. So the skin is uh, stuck right to the bones. And then we can see the body uh, degrade and disintegrate into earth, disintegrate into dirt. And we see that this is the Dhamma arising. So we see that the body is something not beautiful. It's a Subha. We see it's unstable. It's impermanent. It's not self, not a me, not a mine. So we practice to see this, to see this often in the end, to see it clearly. In this way, the mind can be uh, bright and understand clearly into the Dhamma. And the seeing of the Dhamma, the seeing of the way things are, it's not just for monks, it's also for novices, for male lay disciples, female lay disciples, uh, female monastics. They're all capable of seeing the Dhamma. And it's made possible through this practice. So therefore we must practice, we must have effort. Whether one is a new monk or an old monk, whether one has five rains retreats, ten or 15 rains retreats, whatever the case is, or whether one's a lay practitioner who's been practicing for many years, we all must really set our hearts on this practice. We see that we have a very good opportunity in this lifetime to train our minds. We can ask ourselves, if we don't train our minds in this life, then what life are we going to train our minds? Because inevitably the body will degrade and pass away, and the mind will 
go its way according to causes and conditions that have been laid down. It'll follow uh, karma. So we must train our mind first, must be able to do this and have effort to teach our mind about the Dhamma, to teach ourselves first, to have mindfulness and virtue, to make effort to bring the mind to collectedness, and then to give rise to wisdom. And based on these causes, then the Dhamma can arise clearly, be revealed within our own hearts, thereby doubts are dispelled. In the beginning, we may wonder to ourselves, well, what is this like? How is it? We seek to know it for ourselves, uh, to know what's the Dhamma like. And when we keep practicing, then we can see conditioned formations, all sankharas, degrade and pass away. They all arise and pass, arise and pass. And that these sankharas, these conditioned things, are just a heap of suffering, a heap of dukkha. We see that the body is something not beautiful, something uh, dirty and ugly. We see it's impermanent, suffering and not self. So practice in this way. This is a parami, a spiritual perfection that we do. Just like the venerable Yasa at the time of the Buddha lived in the city of Varanasi. He's the son of a very wealthy family. And in a past life, he had practiced uh, the contemplation of the not beautiful nature of the body to the point where his mind entered into a deep uh, jhana, deep absorption. This was a lifetime where he sacrificed his time and energy as a, as a, a gesture of giving generosity to the community and society to burn uh, corpses, to dispose of corpses through cremation. So this uh, image of a corpse really uh, became firmly embedded in his mind. So in his last life, he was able to see uh, clearly into the Dhamma with the help of this uh, Asubha practice, the practice of seeing the not beautiful nature of the body. He saw that whether one is rich, one dies, the poor die, the young die, the old die, those still in the womb die, those uh, just born die. And he brought, brought this into his heart as Dhamma, that all beings must die. And what can we bring with us when we die? What can we take with us from the world? There's nothing that we can take with us. And yet, uh, Beings are lost, we're lost, uh, we're slaves or servants to craving, uh, slaves to the defilements, to the kilesas. So therefore we practice to be slaves or servants to the Buddha. And in truth, being a servant of the Buddha, one is really at ease, really relaxed, because the Buddha is the one who knows the awakened one, the joyful one. So if we're his servant, then we know this uh, following in his footsteps. If we're servants to the defilements, then this is simply the cause for more and more suffering to arise. But if we're the servant of the one who knows, then this is the cause for us to overcome suffering. So this is a simile for us to consider.
to be servants or slaves of the Buddha. So we accept this. And if we accept it well and we're a good servant, then we practice according to the instructions of our master. We do according to what our master teaches. And when we practice in this way, then our minds can realize a Buddhahood for themselves and be a Savaka Buddha, an awakened disciple of the, the Buddha. So we practice Dhamma. We really set our hearts to make effort in our practice. We seek out a method to bring the mind to peace. And we see that the nature of the mind is to proliferate. Uh, having been born, then we, we sleep. And then when we go into a deep sleep, it's a, what we call a bawanga state, where the mind isn't receiving uh, sense impressions or proliferation. But as soon as we exit that state, we proliferate again. And we may, and we get sick as well. And when we get sick, the mind lacks energy. So therefore we train to prepare ourselves for this and see this as normal. Old age, sickness, and death are normal and natural. We practice to see that it's normal for a conditioned formations uh, to age, sicken, and die. So we contemplate and we take care of our bodies according to the conditions of our life. We have medicine, we have doctors, so we practice to take care of ourselves, take care of our bodies. And if we have sufficient merit and parami, then we can go with safety. But when the conditions ripen, when it's time, then we leave this world, we die. And this isn't the first time that we've experienced a pandemic in the world. It's not the first time that we've been born. We've been born and died uh, many, many times already, many lifetimes. So we see that we've been born into this world many millions and millions of times, uh, countless times, more than we can consider. Even if we take a single person, all the bones of just, uh, just from our own lifetimes that have already passed would fill the entire world just from one being. So this is an incredible amount of bones from the corpses that we've discarded already, uh, bigger than the biggest mountain. So we see that we've been born and dying without ceasing. And every time we're born, we cling to these four elements of earth, air, fire, and water. We cling to them as self, as me and mine. Therefore, in this life, we train to bring our minds to peace. We train our hearts with our meditation object. We train them well to be able to teach our minds to understand clearly to accept the nature of the way things are, to accept that old age, sickness, and death are normal and natural. So we, we may chant this every day, but we don't yet see it deeply because the seeing of the Dhamma is something that happens at a very deep level. And when we see the Dhamma clearly, we see that we're all running towards death, uh, running very quickly towards death. And what can we take with us when we die? We see that the days and nights are 
endlessly passing, uh, passing quickly, arising and ceasing. And every day and night that's passed, our life has passed by by one day and one night. And we see that things are constantly degrading and passing away according to time, according to their nature. In these bodies, the conditions of our life, it's something we just borrow temporarily. These four elements of earth, air, fire, and water have gathered together to form our bodies, but they've gathered together just temporarily. We see that these bodies are a conditioned thing, a sankara. They've proliferated based on worldly conditions, but they're not permanent, they're not stable at all. Even uh, cars or boats or so on made out of a solid metal, even after just 80 years, they degenerate and degrade. And so for human beings, we uh, degrade uh, constantly, bit by bit, every day. Our cells and our bodies are constantly being born and dying, born and dying all the time, many, many times over. In uh, 10 years or so, the body is completely uh, replaced. All the cells are replaced. So if one lives to 80, one can say that one's body's been replaced at least uh, eight times already. And at 90 years old, it's all a completely new body at that point. So we see that the body's constantly changing the cells are being born and dying all the time. And when, if we really reach this very old age, such as 90, then we feel no hunger, no wish for food or water, we feel that we're all uh, done with life, and then we die. So this is for a person with merit to reach uh, such a death like this. And we see that when we die, we give up everything in this world. And leave behind everything. So therefore we train our minds while we're still alive in samadhi and collectedness to be able to contemplate these bodies, to be able to contemplate the nature of the body. So we must have effort, we must strive in our practice. In the beginning, when we're newly ordained, we may uh, strive a lot. We feel that we really want to practice uh, virtue, collectedness, and wisdom. And we must really set our hearts on this. There'll be some times when we feel lazy, and this is normal. And there'll be some times where we feel very diligent, and this is also normal. And when we don't have collectedness or samadhi, we may feel bored or weary, uh, tired. So we have to take a look at our own minds and reflect that, well, today I'm not feeling diligent or having effort, and see the mind just follows its own moods and follows after sense impressions. But then the days when there is effort, then we feel at ease. But if we feel that we're not dil feeling diligent or not feeling effort, then we must walk anyway, sit meditation, uh, do chanting anyway, and not miss out. Don't just let it go, don't throw it away, but practice this effort. Uh, do this first. Train the mind to not like or dislike 
when moods and sense impressions arise, without mindfulness, the mind just chases after these these uh, aramana with liking or disliking, and the sense of self arises. So we have to train our minds to take a new approach, to train them with our meditation object, our kamatana, to train in mindfulness, to train to see uh, the our experience clearly. See that when clinging arises, we teach the mind, oh, this is something unsure, something impermanent. So whenever the mind clings, you say, it's, it's impermanent, okay? It's unsure, right? So teach the mind just like this. Teach this, and then the mind will become uh, more intelligent, have more wisdom. And when the mind gathers in samadhi, then the dhamma be revealed in the mind. And if we don't have effort, then it won't be revealed. So therefore we must have effort. If we don't have effort, then we still do it. If we do have effort, then we still do it. If it's raining, uh, we still practice. If it's not raining, we still practice. If we don't want to walk, then we do walking meditation. We can even walk just nine steps or even two steps. If it's raining very heavily, for instance, we may confine ourselves to our kuti, our monastic dwelling, and we can uh, change up our methods like this. So if it's really rainy or and just rained and it's very humid out, we can do walking meditation inside our, our kuti, just doing two steps, one step forward, one step back, one step forward, one step back, according to how much space is available. So we practice to train our minds in mindfulness like this. Try not to get lost in thought, not to think here and there. But we can use the recollection of the qualities of the Buddha, the Itipiso chant, to control our mind, to keep it in the present. And we can contemplate, well, what is Bhutto? What does that really mean? What is Sama Sambuddho? What does that mean? We see that the Samasambuddha is the one who is pure, the one with uh, great purity, with great wisdom, who is able to know the truth uh, on his own. And we can feel this uh, very deeply. We can feel it's very inspiring and uplifting. So whatever aspect, whatever quality of the Buddha that you find most uh, uplifting, then contemplate that a lot. And if the mind is very busy in thinking a lot, then you can repeat your meditation words such as Buddha, Dhammo, Sango. Look at the in and out breathing. Whatever posture you're in, sitting, standing, walking, or lying down, uh, practice mindfulness. Practice repeating Buddha, Dhammo, Sango, or Itipiso. Uh, train your mind with your Kamatana. Don't don't let it go. When you're listening to chanting or when you're talking with others, you can also repeat Budo Dhammo Sango in your mind at the same time to keep mindfulness well established. Because if you don't have this meditation word in mindfulness established in the mind, the mind will chase after the sense objects and moods. 
However, if mindfulness is stable and well-established, then you don't need a meditation word at that point. But if the mind is chasing after sense impressions, then you do need a meditation word. You need a kamatana, because we're known as kamatana monks. So this is something you must uh, be able to achieve, something you're able to achieve. In this way, when one practices like this, the mind becomes beautiful and free, can give rise to rapture. The kamatana lead to collectedness and samadhi. And this practice of meditation leads to rapture and happiness arising. arising. And at this point, the mind feels a lot of energy. You can sit or walk meditation. This is something that becomes uh, easy to do. So in the beginning, you must practice. Uh, if you want to eat a lot, then eat a little. If you want to talk a lot, then talk a little. If you want to sleep a lot, then sleep a little. If you don't want to walk, then do a lot of walking. Practice mindfulness. Uh, do all activities with mindfulness. Don't just let it go. Don't throw it away. Really set your hearts on this practice. Have effort and strive. When you get the fruits for yourself, then you'll know then what it's like. That when you practice in this way, that uh, the Dhamma is like this. And then in this way, one really sets, one, sets one's heart full-heartedly into this Dhamma practice. One really pours oneself into it. And if one does this uh, unceasingly, then in no long time one can see and know the Dhamma for oneself. So may you truly set your hearts on this, be sincere. In the beginning, sometimes there'll be peace and collectedness, uh, sometimes there won't. Sometimes there'll be agitation, chaos, and doubt in the mind. For myself as a layperson, it was like this as well. I'd listen to Dhamma, practice Dhamma. I was interested in Dhamma, but it wasn't yet very deep. But at one point, my mind uh, gathered together, and the mind gave rise to great uh, brightness and radiance. I was able to see the Dhamma clearly at this point. The Dhamma arose. I was able to see all conditioned formations as something uh, fearful, that one is close to death every single day. I saw this clearly, that all phenomena are impermanent and empty. I saw that the body is merely a, a pile of suffering. And in seeing this clearly, the mind was very equanimous, had rapture arising from equanimity. I saw all sankaras, all conditioned things, as fearful, something not beautiful just arising and passing, arising and passing. And we call this vipassana jnana, uh, vipassana knowledge, of which there are nine types which are, are, arose in the mind. And with this experience, the mind felt great fullness and rapture for three days and three nights. I didn't feel any hunger for food. So seeing this clearly, there's such great rapture and fullness in the mind this is what happens when one sees the Dhamma. The energy of uh, collectedness was actually not very much. 
And yet still I was able to have this fullness and rapture of heart for three days and three nights continuously. So reflecting on this, we can consider the parami of the fully self-awakened Buddha, his spiritual perfections, his parami, are without measure, without compare. When we praise the parami of the Buddha, it's like a small bird uh, singing out into the great wide universe. The parami of the Buddha without limit, without compare, uh, that's uh, limitless and vast. So when we consider that the Buddha entered the bliss of liberation for 49 days, this is actually something that's normal for fully self-awakened Buddhas. It's something that we're not able to imagine. We're not able to imagine the Buddha's experience because it's just beyond our uh, station in life. It's beyond our capacity. So therefore, bring your mind to rapture for three days and three nights continuously first, or one month, uh, do that first. You have uh, fullness and happiness and bliss of in your mind, and one doesn't even need to eat. And this is something that's possible, something that we're able to do. And then we reflect on the fully self-awakened Buddha, whose parami is without limit that it was normal for him to enter into the bliss of liberation for 49 days. This is something that's possible. So for ourselves, really put yourself, uh, put your heart into the practice. Really uh, do the practice. Set your hearts on it. So may we all be intent, all monastics and lady, may we all be intent in the practice.